Here we go. Good morning, Hope. We'll try over here. Good morning, Hope. And a few over here. Hey, glad you guys are here. Hey, if you're watching online, we want to say thanks for tuning in. Lots of people check us out online before they come here and try it out in person. So uh, if you're watching online, we are looking forward to seeing you here on an upcoming Sunday. Well, we are in a, a series of messages. We're walking through the Gospel of Luke. We're in no hurry. It's going to take a while. And we're calling the series Luke, uh, Jesus for Everyone because the Gospel of Luke can be summed up in really one phrase. It's all about Jesus, and Jesus is for everyone. Now, throughout the book of Luke, we're going to see Luke um, describing how Jesus constantly reaches out to people who are pushed aside by the society of that day, of that time, and especially folks who are overlooked or, or the unlikely folks in that time would be women sometimes were disregarded, mistreated, but not with Jesus. Uh, Jesus sees the women. He sees thieves. We find him talking to and dealing with Gentiles, non-Jews, which was also very looked down upon by the people in that day. He's with fishermen and sinners. Um, they're all here in the book of Luke, and they're all seen, and they all matter. And what Luke shows us as we go through the book of Luke now is that the mission of Jesus is restoration. We, we talked about that quite a bit last month, but, but Jesus wants to bring restoration to us and then through us, right? Jesus' mission is to bring restoration to our broken lives, and then God wants to partner with us to bring his restoration through us to help heal our broken world. Now, last week, Liz uh, got us into chapter five. Wasn't that an amazing Sunday, Liz, in the sermon and the commissioning? Yeah. So good. So good. If you missed that, be sure to go back and check out the podcast on that. But the next story in Luke chapter 5 has to do with Jesus healing a leper, and we'll get to that in a moment here. But what we do for our messages in our series here at Hope is pretty simple. We're just, again, we're in the book of Luke, so we're just going to go through it. We're going to pick up and study the next passage. Nothing flashy or fancy. We just want to immerse ourselves in, in God's Word and just see every week where Jesus shows up. And when we started sketching out and looking through this, you know, what's it going to look like to do the Gospel of Luke over a long time, I saw this story that we're going to get to today, the, the leper story, and I knew I wanted to approach it a little differently than kind of the normal deep dive that we try to do where we study through a text. Um, See, this story holds significance for me because I used to tell this Luke, um, or I'm sorry, this leper story at least a few times a year at this uh, treatment center that, um, that I worked at for a while. And uh, our youth pastor, Will, and his wife, Christy, they both worked and spoke at this treatment center as well. And when I saw the, that that was like in the run of this message, I thought, I really want to tell that story. And that's what I'm going to do today. Um, but, but before we get into the storytelling, you know, just looking at the story of the, the leper, um, it got me thinking about how powerful telling our stories to other people can be. Like telling people stories of how Jesus is bringing restoration to our lives or has brought restoration to our stories. And when I even think about, talk about like this idea of, you know, 
when I say telling others about Jesus. Um, some of us, if we've grown up in certain types of churches, maybe even more so, we kind of tighten up a bit, right? Um, especially if I say the word evangelism, right? right? Some of us maybe get a little, you know, we've, had, we've been given an idea of what, you know, evangelism means. And, and, you know, if you don't have the gift of evangelism, then sometimes you think evangelism can come off as pushy, and it can. Or maybe you've gone through, like you've been around a church a while, you went through a class that was like, an evangelism class, and you were given a formula of how to do evangelism, and the problem with that is there's a lot, you know, it can be helpful, but there's a lot of steps to remember, and if you don't get it all right, then, you know, it feels like, oh, I can't do, you know, evangelism. Um, and for some people, that stuff is really helpful, so like, go for it, use the steps, the classes, whatever helps you, but if you're someone who feels kind of pressure um, but if you're a Christian and you're like, well, I'm supposed to be doing evangelism and you feel pressure because you're not quite sure how to do it, what if we took the pressure off of that doing evangelism uh, in whatever the right way is? What if we took that pressure off and instead we just thought about telling our stories? Like we're telling our stories like, like the guy in John chapter 9. I won't read the story, but he's a blind man. Jesus heals him. Um, go read the story this week out of John 9. But if you know this story, what happens is Jesus heals this blind guy, and then Jesus like just vanishes, right? And then the blind guy, he gets in trouble from the religious leaders because he got healed on the Sabbath, you know? So they accuse him of, of, of lying. And then they try to get the blind guy to say, or the formerly blind guy to say that Jesus is, you know, a sinner. And, and, and I love this verse in that story, John 9, verse 25. He replied, this was the formerly blind guy. Whether he, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. And I love that. And two things I love about what he did when he was telling his story that I think we can like, use when we're telling our stories. Um, first thing is that he said, I don't know, Right? I think sometimes when we get nervous about how we're going to share our story or that we're not trained enough, you know, um, we worry like, well, what if I'm telling somebody about Jesus and they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? Like, what if they ask me something and I don't know what to say? I'll look like an idiot, right? Here's the, does anybody ever, other than me, ever feel that way? Okay, a few of us. Okay, the rest of you can train those of us that are nervous. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm up here, so here we go. Um, here's the deal. If, if somebody has a question for you, and you don't know how to answer, take it from the formerly blind man. Here's what you say. Repeat after me. I don't know. Let's try it together. I don't know. Was that so hard, right? I don't know. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> you just say, it's a, you could even say, like, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. But the other thing, the second thing I love about what he says is, here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Like, he's just telling his story right there, right? It was like we talked about uh, last month. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him, right? Took that line from The Chosen, and we used that in some of our stories. I was one way, so here was before. Here's after, and here's the thing in between. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Listen, it's awfully hard for people to argue with your story, right? If you're nervous that somebody's going to debate you about, you know, 
Jesus or Christianity, then just tell your story because it's not about debate. And I think that's one of the powerful things about just being willing to tell your story. You don't have to have a master's degree in theology. You don't have to read all the books on apologetics and have all the answers because, again, what if they ask you a question and you don't know the answer because that's possible. Again, here's what you do just to make sure we got this one before we move on. Somebody asks a question about faith or Jesus or the Bible or about science or sexuality and you don't know, here's what you do. You just say, that's a good question. I don't know. And then if it's appropriate, just tell your story. Talk about how Jesus has restored your life or even better, how he is restoring your life now. And I think that's just a part of why we see so many stories play out, especially through the Gospels. And when we see these stories, and I think it helps encourage us to remember that there is power, there is power in hearing someone's story. Now, when Jesus walked the earth, um, the story of many a life was dramatically changed by just one encounter with Jesus. We see that over and over again. But, but my opinion, if I was ranking the stories, I think maybe the greatest story of seeing a, a life radically restored by Jesus, it happens with an unnamed leper that we meet in Luke 5. Starts in verse 12. Put on the screen, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his face in the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered, and we've seen him do this a few times now, right? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Don't tell anyone about this, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. That's it right there. Three quick verses that give us a short window into this man's life. How long do you think that interaction took? Just less than five minutes. Yeah, pretty quick, right? Pretty quick, pretty quick, right? We don't even get a name who this guy is. It just makes me curious. Like, we don't have enough details. Like, uh, a lot of stories are like this, like this guy, that we don't even get a name. And, and stories like this one with the leper, I always read and I go, oh, hey, I just, what else happened here, right? I wonder, like, how did he get to this place? What was his name? Um, did he have a family? How long had he been a leper? But from this, this scripture here, we, we don't know much, just that he had a dreadful disease. He decided to cry out to Jesus, but the rest of the story? Nope. There's no name, no history, no description. Anybody else, do you ever get curious about the story behind the story, behind the two-minute snapshot of a person's life there? Anybody else read these stories and just kind of wonder, right? Like this guy, again, he was a real person with a real story. Now, I have this opinion, um, and this, again, this is Doug's opinion. Like, people wonder all the time about, well, what, what will we do in heaven, um, which would be a whole other sermon series in itself. Um, but I have some ideas, um, and again, what I'm going to say here, this is not in the Bible. This is just kind of what I hope maybe happens, you know. 
But I love stories. I love hearing stories around a campfire. So my hope is that one of the things that we get to do is like we get to hear all these characters from the Bible tell the rest of the story, right? Around maybe around campfires. Kind of campfires are the place for stories, right? And I love stories, love hearing stories around the campfire. So I hope that we get to hear the rest of the story from all these Bible characters around the campfires. Um, And not just them, but like other heroes of the faith. Like I picture, you know, maybe there's just campfires everywhere hosted by, you know, over here you got Moses telling stories. And over there you got, you know, King David telling stories around his campfire. Um, I definitely want to go hear, you know, Mary, Jesus' mom, tell stories like about all the things we don't know about Jesus growing up. Anybody else want to join me at that campfire, right? Some good ones, right? There's just so many stories, characters that I'm curious about that are just mentioned briefly. So that's what I hope happens. We get to heaven, there's story time around campfires, which brings me back to the leper, because I want to hear that story. I want to hear the rest of that story, and Actually, I think it was about 20-plus years ago that, that I read something that Max Lucado wrote that sparked this idea um, with this unnamed leper. And, and what we're going to do now is just wonder um, out loud about the possible story of this man who met Jesus whose life was radically changed and forever restored. Um, What I want to do here is just uh, step into this leper's story uh, this morning and just imagine that maybe his story sounded something like this. For five years, no one touched me. No one, not, not one person, not my wife, not my child, not my friends. No one touched me. Uh, They saw me. They spoke to me. I sensed love in their voices. I saw concern in their eyes, but I didn't feel their touch. There was no touch, not once. What's common to you, I coveted. Handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. Such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me. No one even bumped into me. (laughs) What I would have given to be bumped into, to be caught in a crowd for my shoulder to brush against another's, but for five years, it has not happened. How could it? I was not allowed on the streets. Even the religious teachers, the rabbis, they kept their distance from me. I wasn't permitted in my village synagogue, not even welcome in my own house. I was untouchable I was a leper, and no one touched me until today. Just pause for a second here and just explain that in the New Testament times, um, leprosy was the most dreaded disease that you could have. Uh, it was, it was um, a condition that would render the, the body a mass of ulcers and decay. Fingers would curl and gnarl. Blotches of skin would discolor and start to smell. Certain types of leprosy would numb nerve endings, leading to loss of fingers or toes or even a whole foot or, or hand. Um, one person said that leprosy is death by inches. 
And that's just the physical side. Because the social consequences were just as severe as the physical. Because um, being considered contagious, the leper would be quarantined and banished to a leper colony. And so in scripture, when we read about a leper, the leper is symbolic of the ultimate outcast. Infected by a condition he did not seek, rejected by those he knew, avoided by people he did not know, the leper was condemned to a future that he could not bear. And in the memory of each outcast must have been the day that they were forced to face the truth that they had this disease. And from that moment of realization, that moment on their life would never, ever be the same. One year um, during harvest, <clears throat> my grip on the plow seemed weak. My, the tips of my fingers numbed first one finger, then another. Within a short time, I, I could still grip the tool, but could scarcely feel it. And then by the end of that season, I felt nothing at all. The hand grasping the handle may as well have belonged to someone else. The feeling was gone. I said nothing to my wife, but I knew she suspected something. How could she not? I carried my hand against my body like a wounded bird. One afternoon, I plunged my hands into a basin of water intending to wash my face, and I saw the water had reddened. My finger was, was bleeding freely, and I, but I didn't even know I had been wounded. Like I thought, how, how did I cut myself uh, on a knife, or did my hand slide across the sharp edge of metal? It must have, but I, I, didn't, I didn't feel anything. It's on your clothes, too, my wife said softly. I didn't know she was standing behind me. Before looking at her, looked down at the crimson spots on my robe. And for the longest time, I stood over the basin staring at my hand. Somehow I knew in this moment, my life was being forever altered. Sh shall I go with you to tell the priest, she asked. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, I said, I'll, I'll go alone. I turned and looked into her moist eyes. Standing next to her was our three-year-old daughter. Squatting down, I gazed into her face. I stroked her cheek, saying nothing. What could I say? I stood again, and I looked at my wife. She touched my shoulder, and with my good hand, I touched hers. It would be our final touch. Five years have passed, and no one has touched me since, until today. But on, but on that day, that dreaded day, when everything changed, the priest, he didn't touch me. He looked at my hand, now wrapped in a rag. He looked at my face, now shrouded in sorrow. I've never faulted him for what he said. He was only doing as he was instructed he covered his mouth and extended his hand palm forward. You are unclean, he told me. With that one pronouncement, I lost my family, I lost my farm, I lost my friends, 
I lost my future. I, I stumbled out of the synagogue. <laughs> um, I realized I have to leave the village right, right now, but I, I had forgotten to bring anything along with me but my, my wife. <laughs> my wife, she, she knew. She met me at the gate, and she had with her a, a bag of clothing and some bread and some coins. And she was so devastated, she couldn't even speak. And by now, friends had heard the news, and they had gathered as well, and what I saw in their eyes was a precursor to what I've seen in every eye since, fearful pity. As I stepped out, they stepped back. Their horror of my disease was greater than their concern for my heart. And so they and everyone else since stepped back. You just want to pause the story for a minute. Just, you know, today we know more about leprosy. And so we look back and think, man, it just... You know, banishing lepers to a colony just seems harsh and unnecessary in those ancient times. But then we have to admit, if we think about it, um, ancient people aren't the only culture, the only ones who isolate their wounded, are they? See, we, um, nowadays, we wouldn't build a leper colony maybe cover our mouths in the presence of people with deformities or diseases. But we certainly build walls, and we duck our eyes. See, a person doesn't have to be, you know, quarantined or left out to feel left out, to feel alone. Like, I know from personal experience that, that we who have been divorced, we know that feeling. Um... Or those who are outside, you know, the right social circles, they know that feeling. So do the handicapped, the unemployed have felt that way, so have the less educated. Um, some people still shun married or unmarried moms. Um, we, we like to keep our distance from the depressed. We kind of avoid the terminally ill. See, it's our own version of quarantine. Um, in our culture here, we have you know, certain immigrants for certain neighborhoods for, for immigrants. Um, we have nursing homes, that's where you put the elderly. We have special schools for the developmentally delayed or disabled. We have centers for the addicted. We have prisons for the criminals. And intentionally or not, as a society, we tend to isolate the other, them. And if we get really honest, it's not just them. Because sometimes we isolate ourselves, right? After we get wounded, and we all get wounded, we are tempted to withdraw, to hide in one way or another. Maybe rather than to risk being hurt again, we're going to self-quarantine. So really, in one way or another, I think... If we're honest, we can all relate to the leper. The 
people who saw me were repulsed by me. Five years of leprosy had left my hands, gnarled tips of fingers were missing as were portions of an ear and part of my nose. At the sight of me, fathers grabbed their children, mothers covered their faces, and children pointed and stared. See, the rags on my body couldn't hide my sores, nor could the wrap on my face hide the rage in my eyes. I didn't even try to hide it. You see, I wrongly believed that, that this, this, this lie I had been told, that, that my sickness somehow was God's will, that he did this to me. And with that lie embedded in my heart, how many nights did I, did I shake my crippled fist at the silent sky? What did I do to deserve this? <laughs> but never an answer. Oh, I heard the debate. Some people think that I sinned. People thought maybe my parents must have sinned, and I don't know. All I know is that I grew so tired of it all. Sleeping in the colony, smelling the stench, I grew so tired of the stupid bell that I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of my presence. <laughs> like I needed a bell. I mean, one glance and the announcements began, unclean, unclean, unclean. But... Several weeks ago, I dared to walk the road back to my village. I had no intent on entering. Heaven only knows that I wanted to look again upon my fields and gaze again upon my home and perchance see the face of my wife. And I did not see her, but I saw some children pl playing out in the fields in a pasture. And so I, I hid behind a tree and I just watched them scamper and run. It had been so long, children playing, laughing, I had forgotten. And their faces were so joyful, their laughter was so contagious that for a moment, just for a moment, I was no longer a leper. I was a, I was a farmer, I was a father, I was a man. I don't know what I was thinking, but infused with their happiness, I stepped out from behind the tree. I straightened my back and breathed deeply. And they saw me. Oh, before I could retreat, they saw me, and they screamed, and they scattered. One lingered, though, behind the others. One paused, looked in my direction, and I don't know, I can't say for sure, but I think, I really think she was my daughter, and I don't know, I can't say for sure, but I think she was looking for her father, and her look is what made me take the step I took today, I mean, of course, what I did today, it was reckless, it was risky, but I thought, what do I have to lose? I mean, people say that this Jesus guy is being called God's son, so he will, he'll either hear my complaints and kill me, or accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him as a defiant man. I wasn't moved by some great faith. It was more of a desperate anger. I had figured if God had wrought this calamity on my body, he would either fix it or end it. But then I saw him. And when I saw him, 
I was changed. You must remember, I'm a a farmer, not a poet. So I cannot find the words to describe what it is that I saw. All I can say is that the Judean mornings are sometimes so fresh and the sunrise is so glorious that to look at them is to forget the heat of the day before and the hurt of times past. And when I looked at his face, I saw a Judean morning. Before he spoke, I knew he cared. Somehow I knew he hated this disease as much as, no, more than I hate it. My, my rage became trust. My anger became hope. So I, I hid behind a rock. I watched him descend this hill. There were throngs of people following him. I waited till he was just paces from me, and then I stepped out. Master! He stopped and looked in my direction, as did dozens of others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. Arms flew in front of faces. Children ducked behind parents. Unclean, someone shouted. I mean, I scarcely blame them. I don't blame them at all. Like, I was a huddled mass of death. But I didn't really hear them. I didn't really even... See them, that panic, I'd seen that a thousand times. His compassion, however, I'd never beheld. Everyone stepped back, except for him. He stepped toward me. Toward me. Five years ago, my wife had stepped toward me. She was the last to do so, and now he did. And I, I couldn't even move. I just spoke, Lord, Lord. You can, you can heal me if you will. And had he healed me with a spoken word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with just speaking to me. He drew near me. He touched me. Five years ago, my wife had touched me. She was the last to do so. Until now, today, he touched me. I will. His words were as tender as his touch. Be healed. Energy flooded through my body like water through a furrowed field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened and my head lifted. And where I had been slumped over eye level with his belt, I now stood eye level with his face, his smiling face. He, he cupped his hands on my cheeks, drew me so near that I could... <laughs> Feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness in his eyes. Don't tell anyone about this, he said. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for those who are made well. This will show them what I have done. So that's where I'm going. (laughs) I'll show myself to my priest and embrace him. And I will show myself to my wife and embrace 
her and I will pick up my daughter and I will embrace her and I will never forget the one who dared to touch me. He could have healed me with a word, but he wanted to do more than just heal my body. He wanted to heal my heart, to heal my story. He brought me restoration. Friends, the power of story. Like, I mean, think about this. The truth is, I bet that man's story is even better than that. So I'm going to be looking for his campfire in heaven one day, um, or however it works, right? But not just his story, not just his, and not just people in the Bible, not just the great, you know, so-called heroes of the faith. I want to sit around some of my other heroes' campfires as well and, and hear all the things that I haven't gotten to hear yet, <laughs> Right? I see people around this room that I want to sit around your campfire and hear your story and your stories and your stories. And I see some of you who have walked with God for a long time. I want to hear more of your story. And I see some of you who are in process right now. God is bringing restoration to and healing your story right now. And your story is still being written. All of our stories are still being written. But I just can't wait. Well, I can wait because we'd both be dead, so I'll wait till then. <laughs> but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So many stories. I can't wait to hear. Um, worship team, will you come? See, while I am excited to sit around campfires in heaven one day, um, your story and mine are stories that Jesus means for us to tell today, not just then, but today, right? <laughs> Your story is a huge part of what God uses in order to invite people into relationship with Jesus. See, God wants to bring restoration to others through what he's done in your story. And I don't just mean like the, what we call exciting testimonies. I love the exciting testimonies. I love those. I think they're awesome um, but it's not just what God's done back then for those of us who've been around a while, who've walked with God for a while. Think about where God has brought restoration to your story. Yep, back then, at the beginning of your walk with God, and today, if that's where you're at, right? Where has God been good to you, faithful to you? Where has God shown you his mercy? See, those are restoration stories that are worth telling as well. See, a big part of my more recent story than the following Jesus story would be the restoration story that God has brought to my life um, after going through divorce. I was already a follower of Jesus. I'd been a pastor for a long time when that happened, but God has brought and is bringing restoration through me and to me. See, it doesn't just stop when we start following Jesus. There's more restoration along the way that God wants to do. Jesus is also um, um, using my current story as a, as a pastor who's gone through some difficult stuff to encourage other pastors who are ready to quit and give up. I, I get to tell the ongoing, continuing story of restoration in ways that gives hope to others. That's just a part of the restoration God is doing in me, through me, to me. And 
think about your life, if, if we think about the goodness of God in our lives, about God being faithful to us throughout our lives, throughout our stories, about how good God has been to us, we think about that. We all have a story to tell, don't we? We all have a story to tell, wherever we're at. So what about you? Where in your story, most distant past and recently, where in your story has Jesus brought restoration into your story? And will you tell your story to someone? Maybe somebody who's struggling in their story. Will you, will you tell your story maybe to somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus? And listen, I get it. It can be scary for sure. But just think of the upside of, of risking telling your story, right? So your story might be what God uses, or at least part of what God uses, to, to draw the heart of someone to take one step closer to following Jesus. Just not by you having all the answers, not by you trying to fix anything for them, by just telling the story of how God's been good to you. Your story Think about this. Your story might be what God uses as a turning point for someone to cross over from death to life. Your story might be the beginning of blind eyes seeing, hearts being healed, lives being changed and restored, and people set free. See, the fact that God uses our lives and stories to invite others into eternal life and restoration? Isn't that just mind-blowing and amazing? So we're going to pause before we sing here just with a few questions to take with you this week and then we'll sing together. Where, where has, first question, where has God been good to you? How's God been faithful? Second one. Who will you tell your story? Maybe that story where God's been good and faithful. Who will you tell your story to this week? This week, who will you just tell that story? Something where God's been good and faithful. And then a question for all of us, because God wants to bring us to deeper restoration. How is it, how is it that I need to invite Jesus into my story today? Jesus, I pray that as we sing about your goodness, your mercy, your grace, that you would stir in our hearts where you've been good and faithful. Would you give us courage to tell our stories, the story of you bringing restoration to us and now through us. We love you, Jesus.